Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. And welcome. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. Um, I heard a story about a family that was attending a wedding for the first time. A little girl whispered to her mother, why is the bride dressed in white? Mama answered, because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. The child thought about it for just a few moments and then said, So why is the groom wearing black? (laughs) Things things that make you go, hmm. And you know that had nothing to do with my message, but I I, I read that and I said, that's funny. Anyway, we're in a series that we have entitled, Let's Talk About the Gifts. Let's Talk About the Gifts. Um, The reason being is because... The gifts, just like unopened, uh, either Christmas presents or birthday presents, um, in today's society, not to explore what's going on with them makes absolutely no sense. Concerning the gifts, the Apostle Paul made this declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Um, one text says, I do not want you to be ignorant, ignorant. And so over the last few weeks and over the next few weeks, we've been tackling that question, where do the gifts come from and what are they for? Well, 1 Corinthians answers that in verse four, uh, chapter 12, verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same. Help me, somebody. God at work. So the gifts come from where? They come from God. Now, again, I've been, for those who have not been hearing my thing, what we're going to do is, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, we're not going to go by the traditions of men. We're not going to go by denominational beliefs. We're going to go by what the Bible says. Is that okay? And then let the Bible explain itself because there are people today, even denominations, that explain away all this stuff, and, you know, it's just not true, okay, in terms of, what God is still doing today versus what he's not doing today. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and 1 Peter 4, 10, it tells us what they're for. It says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can brag about it, you know, and just be boastful. I just want to see who's paying attention. What? So that we could do what? So the gifts from God are given to us so that we could... Help each other. First Peter 4.10 says something similar. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So they're given to us by God to bless others through us. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah? Again, that's why I said we need each other because one day I may need the gifts that God has given you and you may need the gifts that God has given me. It's just like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit or the byproduct of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Scripture tells us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. 
And a fruit is something, it's not by accident he uses that uh, word picture because a fruit is something, you go up to a tree and there's a fruit, you pick it off. Well, people, you know, from time to time, even though they're having a bad day, they need you to respond not in kind if they're responding poorly. They need you to, to, to respond with kindness or, or self-control or something along those lines. And so we need the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in each other's lives on a daily basis, and, and they need the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in our lives. Well, it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. They're not just for us. It's for who God is trying to uh, bless through us. Uh, concerning who receives God's grace gifts, Ephesians 4, 7 says, each one of us has received a special gift in proportion to what Christ has given. And so when I uh, first mentioned that, I, t I asked you to turn to someone to your right or to your left, and, just, and you're going to do it again, and just look them in the eye and say, you're gifted. You may, may have never been considered gifted in school. You, you, you may have never got one of those bumper stickers and said that my child is gifted. But according to the Bible, we've all been given a gift. And at least one, in most cases, it's more than one. Believe it or not, God is generous concerning his gifts. They, we also established that they're spiritually discerned, which means it, uh, the fact that it doesn't make sense to your unspirit-filled friends <laughs> is perfectly reasonable. Don't, you know, rack your brain or knock yourself out trying to explain spiritual gifts to people who don't have God's spirit in them. Um, neither do we pick and choose the gifts that, these, that, that, that are given to us. The Bible says God gives these gifts as he sees fit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts he alone decides, he alone decides, he alone decides which gift each person should have. Does everyone have all the gifts? I just wanted to see if you guys paying attention over the last two weeks. We all do not have all the gifts. If, if one person had all the gifts, the body of Christ wouldn't be necessary. They'll just say, you know, God's, God's, God's given me everything. Look at that. And so, so far we've talked about two of the gifts that we saw in uh, Paul's list of nine gifts that he has observed that God has poured out on the church during his time. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. That's the word of wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. That's the word of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith. Someone say great faith. Great. To another and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. We call that the discernment of spirits. Super important. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person 
should have. Again, so most of these gifts, when we're studying the scriptures, we see most of these gifts at work in the life of Jesus. And according to this text, the next one that we're going to look at is the gift of great faith. The gift of great faith. Speaking of faith, um, I heard a story about a lady. There's this one's called Lady with Strong Faith versus a Robber. One night, a lady came home from her weekly prayer meeting, found that she was being robbed. So she shouted, Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, and your sins will be forgiven. The robber suddenly stopped in his tracks, and he gave up. The lady called the police. The police came. While they were handcuffing the criminal, a policeman said, gee, mate, you, you gave up pretty easily. How come you gave up so quickly? And the robber said, she says she had an axe and two thirty-eights. <laughs> someone, someone say great faith. Great faith. So, so in order to understand what great faith is, we kind of have to understand what faith is. And if you Googled faith today, back in the day, we'd look it up in a Webster's Dictionary. Well, now today we Google everything, right? If you Googled faith, this is what it would say. It says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Now, that's, that's a pretty good definition. Well, the Bible takes it a little bit deeper as it relates to our Christian faith. In the book of Hebrew, considered um, the hall of faith. This is what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith, listen, is the confidence in what we hope for and, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the and assurance about what we do not see. Now, marinate, let that marinate just for a minute. And then he gives us a series of examples in that same text of what he's trying to say in verse 3 of the same text. He says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. Was any of us there at the beginning when, when the universe was formed? We, we, we take it on faith, don't we? We take it on faith that God exists and that he is the one that formed it. It says that we may now see that, w- that what we now see did not come from anything that cannot be seen. So the Bible says that, that, that God is a spirit, and from his realm he spoke into our existence. And so everything we see today came from what was not seen. And we take that on faith. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, it, and it is impossible to please God without faith. He didn't say it was hard. He didn't say, <coughs> you know, it was just a little bit difficult. He says, it's impossible to please God without faith. And then he tells us why. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And so then he goes on and tells us a little bit more. He says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. Everyone familiar with the story of Noah and the ark? It says, he obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. And so there was never a great flood on the planet. Some people think that there was even rain that the waters just came up out of the ground. But they never saw a flood. And all of a sudden, God is speaking to Noah and says, 
my spirit is grieved with the world. I'm going to judge the world by way of a flood. I found you righteous. Build an ark. And the ark building uh, capacity back in those days, and it was supposed, and he gave them the exact specifications for the ark. Ark building capacity today may take a year or two. Back in those days, it was estimated that it took at least 75 years or more. And so he's building an ark, presumably somewhere in his backyard, and people are thinking he's cuckoo for cocoa puffs. But by faith, he received the word of the Lord, and he did just what God said. And when he was done, God sent the animals and closed the ark, and then condemnation came upon the earth. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. Where was the land that God called Abraham to settle? Israel. And he went there by faith, uh, and he was still just him and, and Sarah. He goes on to say, and he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, his, his offspring, who inherited the same promise. And Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. How old was Sarah when she had that baby? Something like 90 years old, and she got the promise. How many 90-year-olds do you know having babies? All right, so when she received the word, she, uh, Abraham believed by faith. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, a nation with so many people that like, like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea, there's no way to count to, to count them. So there's, there's, nothing is impossible for God. Amen? So faith is the confidence of what is hoped for, all right? And the assurance, the assurance of what is not seen. And that's super important. The Bible says that all Christians have a measure of faith, you, okay? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you couldn't even get saved unless you had faith to believe that he is. Anyone has ever seen God? No one has seen God. So you believe the testimony of Jesus. You believe the message of the gospel, and you take it on faith. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man, as God has dealt to every man, what, is, what has God dealt to every man? A measure of faith. A measure of faith. So all Christians have a measure of faith, without which, he says, you couldn't even be saved. And for some people, you know, they say, well, Pastor Rick, I mean, I, I mean, I don't have faith. No, everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. It just depends on what you put your faith in. If you, every time you get in an airplane, how many you know it's a faith step? You, you, you believe that the pilot knows what he's doing. You believe that the plane's going to stay in the air. Come on. You take that all by faith. 
you, you, same with the car. You get in the car, you don't know who made that car, right? But you believe that it's going to get you from point A to point B. Sitting in a chair takes faith. Come on. Amen? So everyone's got faith. It just depends on what kind of faith, where they put their faith in. And the Bible says God has given people a measure of faith to put their trust in him so that they can believe. But the faith that the apostle Paul is speaking of in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, isn't simply just a measure of faith. It, that's not what he's talking about, okay? He's talking about a great faith. And I'm going to give you a definition of great faith. I want you to write this down. Great faith is a supernatural, mountain-moving faith that has the power to lay hold of God's promises for results. It, it, it believes what God says, Amen. And that's a gift which the Holy Spirit supplies to individuals within the church for the good of the church. With this gift, certain members of the body of Christ can see the invisible and believe the incredible and receive what would apparently be impossible. And there are so many biblical examples of that as listed in Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame that we just talked about. But during Christ's time, besides Jesus himself, who, who operated in great faith in the things that he did, there were a few examples of people who had what I call different degrees of faith in the Bible, uh, all the way from a measure of faith, all the way up to what the Apostle Paul is describing in the book of Corinthians as great faith. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Is that okay? So there's four types of faith that I see in throughout the scriptures. It says, first there is, I want you to write this down, the if you can faith. The if you can faith. Now we see with the, we see that with the father of the, the young boy who was possessed by an evil spirit. Well, let's, let's just read it. It's in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us i love jesus responds verse 23 if you can said jesus everything is possible for the one who believes immediately the boy's father exclaimed i do believe help me help, help me to overcome my unbelief and when jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. 
The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can, can come out only by prayer. And so what's going on here? This man, he's dealing with a situation presumably for years. And, he, and, he, and, he could, and, and Jesus asked, you know, how long has he been like this? He says, since, since he's a child. And the only type of faith that he can muster because he'd been going through this most of the kid's life. Now, think about it. He says the, the devil's been trying to kill him. Whenever he'd get around water, this convulsion would come on him, and it would throw him in the water. And so he's grabbing his child out of the water. Whenever he'd get around fire, this thing would come on him, and he's falling into the fire. And so he's constantly having to watch his child because the, he believes that whatever is on him is trying to kill him. And so now he's bringing them to Jesus or to the disciples at the time, and the disciples couldn't cast it out, and this is the whole big debate going on. And so now he says, please, please, please Jesus, if the only faith he can muster is the if you can faith, to which Jesus responded, what do you mean, if I can? All things are possible for those, for those, for those who believe. And I love the man's honesty. And so immediately he says, I do believe, but, but then he but he, but he caught himself. He said, he didn't want to lie to the Lord. He said, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. Listen to me. And if you can, faith is a measure of faith, but it's a very weak faith. All right? And God helped him where he was. Now, there's a second degree of faith, and it's called, I want you to write this down, that if you're willing faith, if you're willing faith. And that's probably where a lot of us are today. We see that with the man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. He says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I'm willing. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let them examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy, and this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And Jesus told him, don't, to tell, don't tell anyone because when the word got out that Jesus was a, a, a healing prophet, the crowds came in masses and the Bible says he couldn't even go into the cities. The man didn't listen. He told everyone, I've been healed of leprosy and the crowds were just masses. And so this person who had this condition, leprosy back in those days was incurable, okay, unless God did some kind of miracle on their behalf, um, you were socially isolated from the family because it was contagious. And so you may have been married, you had children, and all of a sudden these spots start to show up on your body, and it was determined that you had leprosy. Immediately, you were required to leave the village. And they had leper colonies. And then from that moment on, 
you were never going to be hugged or kissed. You were never going to, you know, have that relationship with your family. So this was a long, slow death process psychologically and everything. And so when this guy found out that Jesus was in town and he had heard that Jesus was a healer, he took that opportunity and he went for it. And he doesn't question whether or not Jesus can heal him. Instead, his big question is, will you heal me? Will you heal me? And again, I believe that's where a lot of people's faith is today. Not can he, but will he? Will he heal my body? Or will he intervene on the fact that my marriage is having problems? Will he provide in a situation where someone loses a job or the money, there's more month than money? Will he deliver me from my situation? The if you're willing faith shows some faith, but it's still not the great faith that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians uh, of the nine gifts that he's given. And let me give you a third type of faith that I see in the scripture. Not the if you can or the if you're willing faith, it's the if I can faith, if I can faith. And we see that in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And Jesus, it says, Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. One translation one, one says he touched the hem of his garment. For she thought to herself, here it is, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. And so he turns around in the crowd and he asks, who touched me? Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this, look at this crowd pressing around you. How, how can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, has, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And so what do we see in this text? We see a desperate woman who was absolutely on her last leg. She would have been socially outcast according to their religious tradition because she had this continual flow of blood which was considered unclean. Again, she would have been a social outcast. The Bible says she was in that condition for 12 years and she suffered greatly at the hands of doctors who basically took her money, left her in a worse condition, and so she was broke and she was in worse condition and she was desperate. And so she had this thought. 
And I believe it was a thought that maybe God put in her head. If I could just get to Jesus, I know I'll be healed. And so she, she, she disregarded her religious traditions and her norms because it wasn't just any man. Jesus was a holy man. And for her as an unclean person to be contemplating touching him at all, she could have been stoned to death. But even with that, she pressed into the crowd. She pressed into the crowd. And she reaches in, in her 12-year condition, and she touches the hem of his garment. And immediately, the Bible says, divine power flows from him. And, and, and the, the bleeding dries up. She knows she's healed. Now, Jesus is walking along, and all of a sudden, it's happening, and he stops. He feels power flow from him, and he turns around and says, who touched me? His disciples think, what are you talking about, Jesus? You are in a crowd of people. People are pushing up against you. It's not who touched you. Who, who hasn't touched you? Everyone has touched you. He said, no, but somebody touched me different. Somebody touched me in faith. He, he literally, in one translation, says, somebody touched me. And so this woman literally went from feeling a downcast and outcast to, in Jesus' word, or maybe a nobody in other people's eyes. He says, no, somebody touched me. But she knows he's stopping, and he's going to get an answer. Somebody, somebody touched me in faith. Somebody got a healing. And that's why it says she she admits it. She comes out of the crowd and she falls on her knees and she's trembling because she knows you, you, you could get stoned to death in your condition doing what she did. But Jesus doesn't stone her or, or belittle her at all. He literally, he says, daughter, family, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I love that. Listen, you can have the if you can type faith, and that's a measure of faith, but that's not great faith. You can have the if you're willing faith, and that's better than the if you can faith, but still we're not where we need to be. The if you can faith is good faith, and it's uh, on the right track. If I can faith, it's on the right track. But an even better example of great faith is pointed out by Jesus himself. And he says it wasn't even a Jew that exhibited it. It was a Roman centurion at the time. And I call this, I want you to write this down, the just say the word faith. The just say the word faith. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some soldiers of the Jews, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Now, understand that the Jews at the time were under Roman control. They were literally 
might as well say slaves to the Romans. They were, they were their uh, rulers. And so the centurion has a, a person in his house who gets sick, and he hears about Jesus, and he asks the Jewish leaders to, to ask Jesus, can he come? Can he come? And they love this guy because he loves the Jews, and he's fair to them. He's built them a synagogue. And so he, they make this request. So Jesus goes with them. He, has, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Watch this. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. Any military people in here today? Come on, just throw your hands up. You understand men under authority with soldiers under you, right? So for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and he turned to the crowd following him, and he said, I tell you, I have not found such. What's the word he uses? Great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. And so this centurion leader absolutely blew Jesus away. And he says, I've not found such great faith anywhere in Israel. He says, there are people who, who have different types of faith, but this guy has the just say the word faith. Lord, I believe you so much that all you have to do is say the word. Now listen to me. Those who operate in the gift of faith, that's where they are. They just need to know what God promises, and they take it as money in the bank. Come on, somebody. They believe it. They receive it as as if it was true, and they move forward in the things that God is saying. Now, how do you know if you have this type of faith, great faith, as he's described, this gift from God? Here's a test. This is how you, how you respond to this verse I'm about to read to you. It's going to give you an indication of whether this gift has been deposited on you. Listen real close. 2 Corinthians 1, 18. It says, but as surely as God is faithful. Who's faithful? God is faithful. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Ambiguity, no. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been what? Yes. 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 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are Yes. yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen means I agree with what God is saying. Now, listen, if you didn't catch the essence of what, this, what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, let me read it to you in the New Living. It just breaks it down a little bit differently. It says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. 
For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He, he is the one whom Silas and Timothy and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Listen. What are you facing today? Okay. What situation are you going through today? You need to hear the word of the Lord that, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that person with great faith will take the promises of God and understand that all the promises of God are not yes and no. Yes, maybe. That's why Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? <laughs> all things are possible. And that person with great faith says, God said it. <laughs> it doesn't even mean... God said it, and that's enough for me. Somebody said, well, God said it, and I believe, and that's enough. God said it, and that's enough. Amen? Amen? All God has to do is to say it. And the person with great faith says, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so that's the type of faith that Paul is talking about. Um, now, the good news is this. this if you have a physical thing going on in your body, if it's an emotional uh, problem that you're having or financial, the person with great faith says, listen, we are going to stand on the promises of God concerning those things in your life, and we're going to believe God for the victory. Amen? Amen. Now, the great news is, with all those stories, whether you had the if you can type of faith, which is little faith, the if you are willing faith, which is a little bit better, but still not quite there, if I can faith, okay, or the just say the word kind of faith. In every single one of those cases, what was the common denominator? The common denominator was Jesus, amen? And in every single one of those situations, whether it was weak faith or great faith, the promise of God came true in those lives, and they all, through faith, found their healing. And so my suggestion to you is, wherever you are in that spectrum, believe God and start trusting him that he has the ability to do what he says he can do. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Amen. And so for the next few moments, this is what I want to do. Because I believe in my heart that there are people here today, maybe you are facing some struggle in, in your body or in your um, finances or with your family, there is some kind of mountain or some kind of giant that's telling you you ain't going to make it your situation, your, your, your circumstances. I believe that God has blessed me with some great faith. Amen? I believe that we put some people on this prayer line that has some great faith. And even if you've got that, if you can faith, or if you're willing faith, that we're believing God for that breakthrough in your life and in your circumstance. And so we're going to open up this altar just for a few moments. I'm going to ask the prayer team to make their way down there. But before I do, it all rises and falls on your relationship with Jesus. Have you accepted him as your Savior and your Lord? That is the difference, okay? 
it says it, 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 without faith it is impossible to please God because everyone who, who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who, who seek after him. And God has given every single one of us a measure of faith. And so God is calling you, if you've not yet accepted him, to do just that, to take faith steps and say, Lord, I want you in my life. I commit my life to you today. I recommit my life to you today. I'm not ashamed, just like the ones who got baptized. I'm not ashamed to say that you are my Savior and my Lord. You receive salvation by faith. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.